This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're returning, thank you for coming back. I'm Audrey Strong, the Director of Communications for SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of SalesFuel. And frontline managers, or those of you that are working with Gen Z, as in Zed, boy, have we got a guest for you. It's Jessica Ogilvie. She is an assistant professor of marketing and has her finger on the pulse of all things regarding that. Jessica, thank you for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to be here and always love having a conversation about generations in the workforce and how we're changing. Yeah. So there's, what, five generations now currently in the workforce, or are we up to six? We, I think we lose count. It seems to change every single day. We're looking at most organizations for potentially five generations in the workforce, but usually we're kind of, we're looking at those big group Gen X millennials. And then as we see this new Gen Z coming on board as well, I think those are the, the newest and the ones that are definitely giving managers some challenge and how different things have become over the last few years. You've worked with a lot of these kids. I shouldn't say the kids. I should actually say <laughs> these, these young professionals, oh, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> from your work at a high university and now at Marquette University. And one of the things that I think that a lot of us need to know is that when we're trying to recruit this kind of talent, we want the high potential talent from the Gen Z generation and you work with them every day. What are they looking for? And how does, how does that maybe differ than from what the millennials are looking for? Sure. And we always, we're always looking to kind of recruit and capture those top performers. And with every generation, we see a couple of challenges come across the table. What's interesting about the generation entering the workforce right now is those individuals have been raised in a world of transparency. They've always kind of been a part of the conversation. They've always known what was going on. They're always, to some extent, kept in the loop. And I would say a biggest challenge that a lot of organizations are struggling with is providing that transparency to them. It's a generation that when we interview them time and time again, we find that their biggest goal, their biggest desire, what they're looking for in that recruitment process is a communication cadence. They want their recruitment individuals, whether it be you know an actual recruiting individual, whether it be that manager that's hiring them, whether it just be the organization's communication arm, they want to hear constant feedback from them. They want to know, you know after the interview ends how well it went. They want to know when they can expect to hear. They don't want to be left in the dark. And a lot of organizations are still working in timeframes that just don't fit with what this generation expects. And so I would say that's a that's a big challenge is just the simple act of communicating. We forget that they're sitting there on the other end waiting to hear back from us. Where did that come from? Millennials have had the internet, you know, and let's see, Gen Z, the eldest Gen Z was 1995 birth year. So why do they have this characteristic? I'm curious. Well, it's interesting. And it's something we found, honestly, across a lot of research I've done. My dissertation looked at different generations in in the workforce. It looked at specifically the millennial generation when they were entering and, and how they worked with other generations. And it's something that we started to see at that time. And it's only gotten more and more intense as each class and each graduating group comes through universities. We see that they've spent their entire lives getting feedback. 
it's a situation where when when I did something well, I got immediate feedback. Congratulations, well done. <laughs> to some extent, here's your trophy, here's your medal, great mm-hmm. job. When I did poorly, it was immediate feedback of you did great, good try, but here's where you can get better. And so it's it's a generation that we've to some extent we've bred them to expect consistent and very frequent feedback and it's interesting because it goes against everything the older generations have known right if you look at someone from gen x if my manager stopped by my cubicle it usually meant there was something that's wrong. right if i heard from my manager <laughs> at any other yeah. time in that annual evaluation i was in trouble so gen x looks at it as hey if if i'm not talking to you you're doing a great job but this is a generation the millennials and now especially gen z as they're entering they expect constant feedback and now it's a situation where if my manager doesn't stop by my cubicle i start to worry what have i done wrong right i don't know if if you've heard the the phrase that i get from a lot of my students their new thing is is being left on red which is that the iphone iMessage, when you look at it, if somebody opens your message and doesn't respond, it lets you know. It says message has been delivered and then it says message has been read. And and if it's left on read, that means they read it and they decided not to respond to you. So it's more of a, a social thing for them, but that's what they see from their managers is all of a sudden, you know, I, I did my job and I'm sitting here waiting for my manager to respond to me. And if I don't hear anything, well, it clearly means I've done something wrong. So let's take that step further then. So what are the types of emotions then that that particular type of employee would be dealing with after that? What would, what are they thinking at that moment? And then what does that lead them to do? So I think it, it's kind of very typical to what you would expect when you give someone attention and then you take that attention away. So whether it's during the recruiting process, whether it's during the interviewing process or the onboarding process, I'm going through swings where as a manager, I give a a high potential recruit at a career fair, I give them a ton of attention. I talk their ear off. I ask them to interview the next day. I maybe take them to dinner that night. I give them a ton of attention in that moment. Then when I leave that campus and I go to another campus and talk to another student or I go to another city and do another round of interviews, I don't communicate back with that individual. So for a manager, it makes sense. I've moved on to my next group. I'm going to do another set of preliminary interviews before I move to the next round. I'll let everyone know at once. But if you think about that millennial or that Gen Z individual sitting back in their dorm room, their apartment, in their home as they wait to hear back from an interview, they have no idea what's going on. They've got a bunch of attention for a day, a couple of days, some period of time, and then that attention stops. And so you see that swing of emotions where, well, maybe this isn't the right company for me. Maybe they don't care enough about me, or maybe I didn't do well enough. I should just move on. I read this about Gen Z or even the millennials. It seems like a carryover to Gen Z that they view the employer-employee relationship differently than, say, Gen X in that they feel it's weighted on their side. You should be communicating with me, not the employer saying, you interviewed and when we want to get back to you, we'll get back to you. (laughs) Correct? Yes, I would say so. It's reversed. Sure. And it comes off, I think, a lot of times because we don't Again, we don't want to buy into that change. We don't want to change the ways, the best practices of our organization. But in reality, that's not a bad thing that they want to be in constant contact, that they want to understand what's going on. And it is, it is a bit of an expectation. It's an understanding that, you know, I did my part in the process and now I'm waiting to hear that response. And so as long as that's kind of their expectation, we as managers, if we want that top talent, we've, we've got to give in a little bit. We've got to be willing to to have that conversation with them. 
For the employees that then get hired in, I have a question about their an existing employee. Lee, to his credit, our culture at SalesFuel is very transparent. He's he's always very good about updating all of us on all the things going on that, you know, frankly, not necessarily things that he needs to share. Do you have a best practice or guideline that you have for employers on the transparency issue? I think it comes down to each manager, to some extent, what you're trying to achieve on a day-to-day and in a long-term process and relationship with your employees. The culture of an organization, it boils down to the day-to-day interactions an individual has with their other counterparts as well as their manager. Something that's called a psychological climate. It's what I perceive day-to-day is expected of me what's rewarded, what's celebrated in the organization. And I respond to that. So that transparency, managers have to be self-aware in how transparent they're being to the extent that I've got to create the climate and the culture I want my employees to live by. What they hear from me, what they see me do, what they see rewarded, what they see expected, that's what they're going to do. At the end of the day, Every employee, I'm going to follow the best practices that get me those, those rewards, that get me to the, the celebration. It's all about what my manager's portraying day to day. A lot of managers will prefer to hire people who have an established track record where they worked someplace before, you know, lessens the risk. These days, it's like every hiring decision is just wrought with risk. And so with that in mind, why should a manager then look for young Gen Z talent, maybe from a college campus, and hire them instead of leaning on experience? I think there's risk, obviously, in all the decisions we're making as managers, unfortunately, right? The risk of hiring that experienced person, yes, we're a little safer in in the arena of them maybe staying, being committed to that field, coming with some capabilities and some knowledge. But the risk at the same time is also that double-edged sword. They're coming with experience. They're coming with knowledge. A lot of times they may be coming with some bad habits that are more difficult to break. So in that process, you do have to be a little more careful in recruiting individuals that have a similar culture fit, a similar expectation of the work environment, because oftentimes that can be the thing that's that's most difficult to break. From a Gen Z side, I would say the risk is absolutely there that this is a generation that's more prone to job hop. It's a generation that's more prone to be a little bit more risky of a hire. But with that, you also bring what I think has been termed more of a rookie value and a rookie perspective. You bring a clean slate. You bring individuals that come with a sense of learning, a sense of desire to belong. This is a generation that they want to be a part of whatever they're they're joining. They want to be a part. They want to have impact on the organization from day one, which I think can be incredibly valuable if we know how to funnel that the right way. Well, that was going to go to my next question. I think that that might be, it sounds like part of the answer, was, which is, okay, you've recruited this talent. Naturally, you have to grow and develop them, but how do you get them to stay if they're so prone to job hop? That's something that I think needs to be an open conversation between managers and their employees. I look a lot and work a lot with managers on something I call coaching cadence, making sure that from day one, you're a coach to your employees, not just at an annual evaluation, not just at a quarterly check-in, but instead in a week-to-week or you know, a bi-weekly sit-down where you're truly creating a coaching relationship with them, a cadence that happens regularly. And underneath that, getting to know them as individuals. Um, at the end of the day, Gen Z, when they join your gen- your organization, millennials, when they join your organization, they have goals. They know what they want. And if you can tie that closely to the mission of your organization, to their day-to-day job, when you can make their goals a part of your organization's goals, that's when it starts to matter. 
and I'm not suggesting that managers change the, the, the goals of their organization. I'm suggesting you sit down with your employees and understand what it is they're trying to achieve. Are they trying to buy a house? Are they trying to pay off student hmm. loans? What are they trying to achieve and how can you tie that to their success at your organization? It's interesting. That goes to another topic that you wanted to share some of your wisdom with, which is about managers balancing business development and day-to-day tasks and staff. What have you discovered in your work about that? We've seen the biggest challenge that managers have today is, is quite frankly, they're, they're overwhelmed with expectations. The resources, the time, especially that managers have in a day, haven't really changed. At the end of the day, every manager still has 24 hours in their day. And for most of us, we'd like to spend some of those 24 sleeping with our family, enjoying life. So at the end of the day, we've got you know limited time and yet we're being tasked with more and more, more expectations of recruitment training, more expectations of, of increased customer size, increased base, um, just huge tasks that managers are getting on top of what they're already expected to do. Um, one of the biggest challenges we see is usually that managers are struggling to be ambidextrous in some way. They're struggling to manage two competing tasks, whether that's you know balancing the service of customers that their team may already have with actually growing and selling new customers, whether that be managing the employees they already have while also recruiting new individuals. We see that that internal struggle and, and managers really trying to decide where their time is best spent. Growing productivity while cutting budget. Absolutely. Yep. So what's your top tip for managing that? Do you got any easy ones in your back pocket there you want to share? I would say it always, there's always a contingency factor. There's always something that is unique to your situation that I would say is as tough as it is, there's no easy answer. And each manager, we really have to sit down and look at the goals we're trying to achieve and how we're balancing our time and, and get some feedback, you know, figure out from your team, from your peers, from your colleagues, um, what's working best and, and try different things in your, your arena and see what, what can really have an impact on those goals. One of the other things I see managers struggling a bit with these days is emotional intelligence. It seems particularly important when you're trying to recruit these high potential young professionals from colleges and whatnot. Are you seeing that sort of thing in your research? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Emotional intelligence has become more and more important with um, with each generation, millennials, and then Gen Z especially. They're looking for, again, that relationship, that transparency, and a lot of those decisions rely on a manager taking the time to be empathetic, taking the time to be self-aware, and actually understand what matters to their people, to their team. Um, being emotionally intelligent helps that manager connect with and build that that psychological climate they're trying to achieve, understanding how they come off and how their employees see them and see what's rewarded. That's what really helps them, you know, determine, manage their team and lead everyone successfully towards those, those end goals. It's what allows you to build those relationships that truly create that sense of loyalty, that sense of pursuit and the similar goals. And you're teaching the students, though, at your universities to all about empathy and emotional intelligence. So if the managers can't play catch up there, then that's going to lead to some problems down the road, don't you think? Absolutely, yes. We teach um, and we, we make that more clear to our students um, in today's business world that whether it's them working with external customers or whether it's them working with internal customers, with their managers, with their teams, with their higher higher ups, they have to manage that emotional balance. They have to be self-aware. They have to be able to balance their own emotions and then they at the same time have to be able to balance the emotions of others and build relationships. 
they know more than anything in today's world, external and internal productivity happens on the basis of relationships. So they know to look for that in an organization when they're interviewing. Honest to Pete, I think in my work life and career over the years, not at Salesfield, but at some other organizations, I've had managers that don't even know what emotional intelligence is. It's just never been, they've been thrust into the role and it's just not even on their radar. Is that, is this more common than not? Absolutely. I think there's challenge is pretty pervasive in the sense that a lot of times you're absolutely right. Managers don't necessarily select into that role. A lot of times it is, it's an internal promotion. It's a, it's a reactive response from a, an organization and managers kind of get thrust into something new. And those managers that are willing to kind of self-assess and and grow and learn from that, I think they can develop that capability pretty easily. But unfortunately, a lot of times that's just not something that maybe was on their radar or expected. And so because of that, they really struggle with that that self-awareness. And I will say what's interesting is, and maybe unfortunate sometimes for us um, in organizations, is students nowadays are, they're they're trained um, in, in two different ways. They're trained first and foremost to interview. So they understand how to come across well in an interview. They understand how to meet the expectations of that company. So it makes it a little trickier for us as managers to see the true applicant. At the same time, they're also trained to interview the company and make sure they're choosing somewhere that they truly care about and they truly fit well with. So I want to bring this back around then. So let's say that I feel like I'm emotionally intelligent enough to handle the task at hand. And I want to go out and recruit some of, the, some of this great high potential talent. How do I go about working with my local un- colleges and universities then to make that happen? I would say connect with the right people. Professors in college business in different business positions, universities are usually pretty well-versed in these relationships and have had those contacts with other companies in the past. Most universities also have resources to help employers connect with their students. At the end of the day, we have you know mutually beneficial goals. We are trying to find good positions for our students. And at the same time, companies are trying to find those top prospects. So I would say finding the right people, whether it be a career center on campus or whether it be actual professors in the classroom, I think that's a great start. I will say the relationship those professors have with their students obviously makes that a little bit closer of a connection for the business to start. And so at Sales Fuel, we're always looking for great salespeople. So I understand that, of course, obviously, we've been actively involved in the Ohio University Sales Center, the Chase Center there, and you're starting up something very similar uh, to that up, up at Marquette. What are some of the opportunities that uh, there might be for partnering with, with a program like that? That's a great point, too. Um, so there are a select number of universities, about 50 around the country, that have sales programs, that have sales centers. I was recently at Ohio University with the Shea Sales Center, one of the top ranked in the world, I and mean, have now since come to Marquette University to help them build a similar program. Those are groups where you have direct lines to students that have a better understanding of what goes into frontline engagement, sales, service, marketing, finance. They know what those relationships look like, and to some extent, they know how difficult it can be. So they're a great kind of pre-screened group of candidates for any organization. So those are definitely venues that I would encourage any manager to get involved in. That's great. So we just send, have everybody call you. What's your direct line? No, just kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> for people who want to reach you, how would you prefer to be reached? I am easily reached um, via email right now as I transition into this new role at Marquette University. I'm going to be happy to share that email either now or in post-interview notes, but happy to have anyone that's interested reach out to me and continue this conversation or a number of other topics that I'm always happy to discuss in management. Sure. And, or can they tweet at you too? I know you have a Twitter. 
Absolutely, yes. Please, Twitter is always open. I try to keep a lot of communication up there about what's happening in the sales world as well as in the student sales world. And so your Twitter, I'm trying to see here, it's Jess L. L. Ogilvie. L is in Lamp. Okay. She's she's J-Lo. J-Lo. The original J-Lo. And of course, we'll put all that in the show notes. And so, or you can read that then wherever your fine podcasts are streamed or at managedsmarter.com. Right, Audrey? That's right. So please subscribe, rate, and review, and tell a friend. Share this with them as well. And if you're on Overcast, go ahead and star the episode and recommend. And Jessica, we really appreciate your time, and uh, this has been very interesting. Yes, thanks. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'll definitely miss you at a high university, but do, do great work like you usually do there at Marquette. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Lee. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.